We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Fay. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. And Jack, we are talking about a game one win over the Milwaukee Bucks in round two. Nets take the dub 115 107. James Harden left this game a minute in, but the Nets still took care of business. How are we feeling, Jack? As King Hove would say, Brooklyn, we go hard. <laughs> that that was probably one of your best starts to a podcast right there, Jack. Credit to you on that one. Well thought out. Uh, and the Nets did go hard tonight. A lot of guys stepped up. Great team effort. Great team win. We'll jump to that as always, but you can find the buzz on all streaming platforms. Jack, where do we begin? Oh, Nick, let, let's let's start with the positive. Like uh, the, the second half, you know, the the 35 points in that sec, that sec, uh, the third quarter, sorry, the 33 points in, in the second that third quarter was was magic. Highlights are plenty. Kyrie Irving throwing dimes to dunks for to Bruce Brown and Kevin Durant like it's the Harlem Globetrotters. It's Dwayne Wade and LeBron James 2.3.0. I thought that that quarter was just like, you know, you, you sort of, we said on our spaces, we're like, man, uh, the Bucks are going to come out here and, and we're going to be ready for their, their best shot. And the Nets just took it away from them. And I thought that they did a good job of, you know, getting stops and, and making things yep. tough for them. You know, not getting, giving them easy shots, easy three-pointers. You know, not making, despite the fact that they got into the paint at will, a lot of the shots weren't easy shots. They were contested. They were physical. So I, I think that the Nets, the third quarter, was one of the, the best quarters that I've seen them play this season. And they played a lot of good quarters this season. Yeah, and I think, you know what it was, Jack? It's It was a great quarter, but it was also against great competition. You know, the Bucs are one of the best teams in the league. And like you said, net score 35, hold the Bucs at 23. It was a lot of turn defense into offense. Got some easy buckets, kind of attacked in transition. Even that semi-transition stuff you saw in this game. You mentioned, you know, Kyrie Irving with some of those passes. Also, I believe in that third quarter, we had the big foul call on Kevin Durant. You know, Steve Nash elects to keep him in after KD kind of pleaded for the case. That led to a big run to end the third quarter. So, like you said, that third quarter was really what swung the momentum for the Nets. And we kind of talked about it on the preview show, on previous shows, you know, like one possession, one play, you know, one quarter can swing a game. And that's what we really saw with the third quarter because fourth quarter was pretty close and the Nets just kind of had that cushion in a couple threes. And next thing you knew, it was out of hand. Yeah, and, and I think that that's what you want. You want to, you know, gain momentum. You know, things were flat early after the James Harden injury and yep. then and then, Kemp, and then Blake dives like it's no one else's business for a loose ball that he had no business of getting. Like, I was just like, 
how, how did he actually dive for that? Because it was just like in his hands, and it's just like, no, nah, this is my ball. Uh, Blake Griffin's easily his best game as a Brooklyn Net, and you know maybe one of the best games he's played in in the last couple of years uh, quite easily. He was. I thought he defended Gian as well, despite the fact that he got his numbers. I thought that he, the, the scheme that he played on him, you know, give him open shots, but contest them at the same time, you know, show physicality. You know, he's not going to get that sort of spin move and, and push you back like he will do to maybe Clax or, or KD. Now, we know we didn't, the DJ siding wasn't necessarily there as a lot of people probably expected. Bruce Brown was talking him up, you know, in the pregame. But yeah, I think the reason why it, this was such a good game for Blake as well was because what an amazing three-point shooting game from him, as yeah. well as an amazing rebounding game from him. Nicole was better out of the 18 points, 14 rebounds, including two offensive boards, uh, two steals, and, and three assists. Were you more impressed with the rebounding or was it the three-point shooting? Because that early was what got the Nets, you know, uh, uh, some offensive momentum. But the boards were the boards were incredible, and, and I, I wrote him off. You know, I will yeah. happily eat my words. I wrote Blake Griffin off, and I'll, I will happily write an apology and send it to wherever he's doing comedy, stand-up comedy at the Comedy <laughs> Cellar next, uh, because it was an absolutely masterful rebounding performance from him. And without him, I think that we really do struggle uh, in a lot of respects. Yeah, I mean, if they do not have Blake Griffin in this game, they lose, especially because Jeff Green is out. And to answer your question, Jack, the three-point shooting is not super surprising. You know, he shot pretty much around 40% since he joined the Nets. You know, obviously the volume of nine attempts and making four is pretty impressive, but the Bucks were kind of giving it to him. Brook Lopez was not stepping out to the perimeter. So to me, the 14 rebounds is huge, especially considering the team we're going against and the impact they have on the boards. And, you know, the Bucks still won the boards, but... Those rebounds were huge, and it really played a role in this game and kind of solidifying the win for the Nets. And like you said, you know, best game we've seen from Blake Griffin on the Nets, best game he's probably played in about two seasons, just overall basketball and the impact he's had, you know, scoring, rebounding. You mentioned the defense on Giannis. I think one reason he has some success against Giannis is he has a strong base, does a great job of kind of getting low and not allowing Giannis to get that, you know, low gravity on him and kind of let him lose leverage. So, you know, I don't anticipate this kind of performance from Blake throughout the series. But to kick things off and give him some positive momentum, at least with the three-point shooting, that's a major plus. Yeah, I mean, especially after the series that he had against Boston, you know, it wasn't yep. to the standards that he would like. He would like, and obviously, he was played off the floor in a lot of respects. And you know, thirty-five minutes from him, that would easily be his most as a Brooklyn Net as well. You know, we sort of talked about the first half. I think he had nineteen minutes. I'm like, yep. I can't remember the last time Blake had been nineteen minutes in in a half. You know, in in a very very long time. You know. And it was just, he sort of combined what he has brought, brought to Brooklyn in terms of like the grittiness, the toughness, the, the tenacity, and then just that three ball. You know, Brooke Lopez was leave, letting him shoot it. And yep. that was the difference, I guess, tonight is the, the fact that Blake Griffin and Joe Harris were hitting their threes and no one other than Giannis, who hit two of five, was hitting them on Milwaukee. And I think that that was a, a really big reason. You know, they always say make or miss league. Uh, and, you know, the rebounding and the points in the paint, you know, they got they certainly got that ascendancy there. But if you're only going to hit six of 30, I think it was from three, then, you know, you're not going to get many Ws. And I think that, the, like you mentioned, Nick, when we were chatting off wax, the, the Nets did a good job early of not letting the Bucks get into any sort of offensive rhythm. Everything was was gritty and tough and hard and physical. They were complaining about getting slapped. You know, Yas was complaining, Middleton was complaining, Drew was complaining, Brooke was complaining, and all these little things. And it's just like, you know, nothing easy. And I think that that's a, yep. a full credit to the Brooklyn Nets. And despite the fact that stats don't look amazing, if you watch the game, the Nets did a great job.
A hundred percent, Jack. And I think that's a huge factor. You know, like you mentioned, the Nets contesting those early shots from the Bucks, not allowing them to get rhythm and the Bucks giving, you know, Blake Griffin and even Joe Harris a lot of open looks like I thought Joe got a lot of clean looks in this game. And some of that was Brooke Lopez drop coverage, them just kind of losing him in screens. The bull or just... movement, Nick. The bull yeah. movement was phenomenal in that third yep. and fourth. It was just like, and I and look, some credit to Mike James. We'll get to him in a little bit. And I expect an apology from you as well, Nick. Um, but in all honesty, the ball movement. And then there was one play where Joe, you know, he, he he set himself. And then he reset and he moved to a different part. And he yep. got the kick out. I can't remember who it was off. But I know, I think it was at 79-71. And I was just like... That's just beautiful from Joe. It's just like, it's the the epitome, despite the fact that, you know, it's the big three and and Joe. Joe is still showing movement. You know, he's still passing the ball well. Um, this is why he is the best three-point shooter, you know, of the past couple of years, because, you know, he still does all the things that make him, you know, a, an absolute hassle to deal with. Because there were times where Giannis was having trouble guarding him, Middleton, yep. everyone on the perimeter. It's just like, okay, I've got Kyrie and KD to worry about. And then Joe Harris is moving like a goddamn motherfucker around here. Like, how am I supposed to keep up? I'm not getting any let off and, and the Nets weren't that good offensively you know our two superstars weren't amazing tonight but I will talk about them in a little bit but yeah Blake and Joe were, were huge from the perimeter yeah and I think some of that too Jack as you kind of mentioned Katie and Kyrie not necessarily like popping off having these monster games a lot of attention from the Bucks for those two guys and that led to them not being able to kind of focus on Joe Harris. And you mentioned the relocation that he, you know, is one of his best skills. And when you're kind of turning your head to look over, oh, what's Kyrie doing and what Kevin Durant is doing? And essentially when the Bucks really didn't do a great job of staying in front of Kyrie, you know what I mean? That opened up a lot of different things. And even Mike James, you know, got into the rim, got penetrated in the paint, did a nice job of kind of setting things up. And that led to some of that more of that ball movement, you know. And I think Joe Harris was solid defensively. I was he impressed was. with the, his defense he played today. You know, I can't really remember him getting cooked many times if any I thought he did a nice job kind of fighting with Brooke Lopez there's also one box out where he put Giannis on his ass so that was a play where I was like all right Joe Harris you came to play in the playoffs and he just kind of took his game to another level and yet he had that like monster game too against the Celtics but part of that was just like the Celtics leaving him open him getting super hot from three like this might be his best overall playoff game in my opinion and he was look, and he has been super consistent as well. It's yep. not like sort of we've seen in seasons past where Joe in the postseason has been, you know, hit or miss and, and a lot of miss. Whereas we've seen a consistency and a base level from from Joe that's been been awesome. And the three point shooting sort of opens things up for him. And you know he's he's confident and you know he's he's in rhythm. You know he's driving well. He probably should have got a charge on Giannis as well. I think every yeah. single probably Brooklyn Nets player should have got a charge on Giannis. And you know I was very tempted to get that James Harden tweet out about you know I wish I was seven footed. I could just push guys over and dunk, but I, I left it in. I left it in the draft. So I'll bring it back maybe in, in a little bit. But there's this quote from Kevin O'Connor, and I want to hear your response to it. KOC, obviously of the Ring, uh, uh, a really great and smart basketball mind. He says there'll be lots of focus on Buck shooting six of thirty from three. They should shoot better, but Nets shred them with cuts and ball movement, and the Bucks had no answers. Brooklyn didn't get abused on the boards after the first quarter, and Bud's rotations were whack. Milwaukee has tons of work to do. I guess it relates to sort of the discussion. That's why I wanted to bring it up about the Nets sort of playing team basketball. The the isolation play that we saw a lot in the first round, it just showed that they're not bogged down by an identity. There is a multiple ways that this team can can beat you, especially on the offensive end. Yeah, and it was like they still played like James Harden was out there to an extent, you know, with the ball moving in the passing. And like you said, Jack, a lot of team defense, uh, team offense and just cutting and guys understanding where they need to be, especially when they're sending that extra attention. So I was really impressed. And like 
scoring 115 in a playoff game is not easy, especially against a Bucks team that has, you know, three of the best perimeter defenders in the NBA and, you know, has played good defense this season and pretty much locked Miami up, locked up Bam, locked up Jimmy Butler in the previous round. A lot of credit to the Nets and players stepping up. I thought nice adjustments from the coaching staff. And, you know, like Kevin O'Connor mentioned, you know, I thought the rotations were questionable for the Bucks. There was also times where players just didn't play well. Like, they didn't win the minutes in the fourth quarter when Kevin Durant was on the bench. Like, you have your stars on there. You know, Giannis was out there and Katie was on the bench, and they didn't win those minutes. You know, that says more about them than what it says about the Nets. That was the probably the the stretch where you're like, okay, can the Bucks you know get an ascendancy here in the fourth to start the fourth, and the Nets held tight. You know, Kyrie Irving was really solid leading leading the ship, and you know everyone else was sort of making plays offensively, defensively, making things tough for the Bucks, and they weren't able to crack the the Brooklyn Nets. And you know we don't expect this one game sample size to be reflective across this probably very very long series, but you know you take a lot of good things from tonight going forward about you know you can lose a losing battle, you can lose the points in the paint and you can still get the, the win you know and Nets can yep. do better the Nets can do better at protecting the paint the Nets can do better at rebounding the ball and not giving up offensive boards they can do better themselves at, at shooting the ball as well yep. I think there was a lot of shots of, of, of KD and Kyrie that were like in and out and probably good shots for them and it's just like you know what you, you take it because they were still plus 14 they still combined 54 points tonight um, it was just the, the rest of the guys you know provided you know a, a real good level of, of consistency in the role players it's just, it was a uh, a really good performance, Nick, and, and, you know, a lot of things about the Brooklyn Nets. It's just like, this wasn't the Nets, you know, going 140 points, shooting at like a 60-40-100 game like they did against yep. the, the Boston Celtics in, in the previous series. This was, you know, a really solid, gritty, but, you know, decent enough a performance, but they could be better. The Brooklyn Nets can be better. The Bucks can be a lot better, and we sort of talked about, I guess, the, the coaching, you know, debate, and, you know, you, Matt, and I were sort of, like, debating, and we were sort of toing and froing, and we... And when we sort of saw, you know, PJ Tucker get inserted into the starting lineup, everyone's like, oh, my Nose is finally being proactive rather than reactive. But the, the the key thing that I think is, you know, you look at the minutes for the superstars, Kevin Rand, 40 minutes, Kyrie, 45 minutes. And then you look at Chris Middleton, 36, Giannis Antetokounmpo, 35, Drew Holiday, 37. Play your good players extended minutes. Yeah. Kevin Durant's coming off a goddamn Achilles injury. Kyrie Irving, and, and I think that Steve, this is one thing that Steve Nash does well. You know, he sort of said before, he's like, the guys don't want to come out. I just let them dictate it. And yeah. you know, they're good enough to, to be able to realize their own bodies. Um, you know, Kyrie Irving didn't really look gassed. Like, it, it yeah. seemed to me that you know, he was fit and firing. But, you know, I've been waxing and waiting for a little bit here, Nick. So, so jump in. <laughs> I just thought that there was a lot of good things that the Nets did well. And the Bucks have plenty to improve, but so do Brooklyn. Yeah, I think that's a big difference in terms of, you know, game one to game two between the Bucks and the Heat. You know, everyone's talking about like, oh, you know, the Bucks can be so much better. I'm not sure how the Heat can be better. You mentioned it, Jack. The Nets shot 37% from three, which isn't bad. But given the three-point shooters they have on this team and the amount of shots that rimmed out for Kyrie Irving, them shooting 45% in game two is not out of the realm of possibility and not unrealistic because they're just that talented of a team. So I'm being intrigued by just what's going to happen in the shooting department. And, you know, the Bucks have kind of been fluctuating all year. And we talked about how important it is to kind of disrupt them early. And in terms of other areas, they can improve. Yeah, they can play tighter. They can play cleaner. And, you know, playing their stars big minutes probably could have won them the game. That could have maybe been the difference today. But, you know, I think Bud maybe thought got ahead of himself with the James Harden injury and thought maybe, you know, we can take advantage of them being down a star. 
it didn't play out that way and easily could have cost them the game because I just thought Giannis's impact was really huge for the team, uh, for the Bucks. You know, even though they didn't win the game, like offensively, he was kind of getting what he wanted. A lot of different points were able to at least get good shots at the rim. And I thought defensively, he disrupted some things and just th- not playing him 40 minutes just kind of seems crazy. In my opinion, if I was a Bucks fan, I'd be kind of livid. Yeah, and, and that's one thing that we sort of saw from Steve Nash. He was forced to make adjustments. And, yep. you know, a lot of the time when Steve Nash is forced to, to think on the fly, and a lot of it probably is credit to Ima Udoka and, and Mike D'Antoni and the guys behind the scenes, Jacques Vaughn. You know, the, the experience of those guys having to be like, and, and, and probably Steve Nash too, I think, the, the, the collective. All those guys are head coaches or head coaches in wife. Um, so I think that collective you know the, the Brooklyn Nets you know they, they played a, a better game and they coached a better game the rotations were better um you know the the insertion of Mike James and you know we yeah. don't we can't expect this from Mike James you know for five or six games but you know you you get a good game or two out of your role players it gets you a win and it did tonight and I expect a full written apology typed emailed send it in a fax whatever you gotta do Nick and send it to goddamn Mike James KD's best friend and my best friend as well I'm on the Mike James Stan bandwagon there you go Jack I don't know about a written apology but I will say you know Mike James I mean, you know I was really impressed I didn't think that he could kind of put up this type of performance in the playoffs but in terms of what the Nets were asking him to do it somewhat made sense where, hey, no James Harden. We need another penetrator. We need someone else that's going to be able to get in the paint while Katie and Kyrie are getting so much attention and kind of set things up, occasionally get a bucket. And he did that. And I thought even defensively, he wasn't terrible. There was a couple plays where he kind of looked like he lost his ankles a bit. But 12 points, 7 rebounds, 3 assists, 5-11 from the field, 2-4 of from 3, 0 turnovers. You know, I'll take that game from Mike James. And, you know, he can end up playing a bigger role in the series depending on what happens with James Harden. Yeah, he was part of the really good team rab- team rebounding. I think that you could see that Katie and Kyrie didn't want to bring the ball up every single possession because yep. of the, the, the minutes that they played. So they gave it to Mike. They gave it to, to Landry a, a couple of times here and there. They gave it to Blake. And those guys were sort of happy. And it's sort of... And I think that just having the ball in your hand sort of gives you familiarity, yep. a bit of confidence, you know, a bit of touch. I, I think that, that that shouldn't be understated just as a, a little thing to the wayside. But yeah. We don't expect Mike James to produce these little performances going forward, but ha- happy to be proven wrong if he can do this in game two and going forward. You normally do see in, in the playoffs, you know, the role players perform at, at a much higher level uh, in front of the home crowd and Barclay Center and Jay-Z, Beyonce, Travis Scott, Nick Wright, who was taking photos of the unvaccinated section. That guy is a goddamn fool. I'll probably get blocked <laughs> by him like I have with Sam Quinn and, and Tony Jones by the end of the night. Uh, but yeah, in all honesty, Nick, you know, the role players were outstanding and, and Mike James was, was leading the pack in that regard. It, you can't ask for more from a guy that was bought out from, from Russia and sort of being able to go, all right, we need you to step up and play 30 minutes for us tonight against one of the best teams in the league. Um, and, and he just, he full credit to him, full credit to him. Yeah, I, I, seriously, if someone told me Mike James played 30 minutes in game one of the second round against the Bucks, I would have probably said that they're, you know, drunk on some type of drugs. Like, and credit to him, proving me wrong, proving plenty of people wrong, good for him. And, you know, like, Part of me thinks, like, I don't know if he'll be this efficient, but he could somewhat maintain this just given what he's getting out there because, like, he's getting defended by, you know, Brian Forbes, Jeff Teague, who I don't even know why he's playing in the second round type of thing. So they're, like, there are advantages, not to say that Mike James is some type of star player, but he is able to kind of take advantage of what the defense is giving him. And credit to him, credit to Steve Nash, like you said, putting him out there. And really credit to all the role players because – 
to some extent, like no one really played bad. I mean, maybe the only player I would ask more of is Landry Shaman. Other than that, I thought pretty much every single role player stepped up and did something that helped the Nets win this game. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you love listening to the Brooklyn Buzz, what's stopping you from grabbing a mic and starting your own show? And there's no better place than Blue Wire Hustle. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and you just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord, e-learning courses full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show on Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is you get it all for $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge just for the initial setup. So if you're ready to do more than just listen, talk to us about your favorite team, then make your voice heard and hustle. Acceptance in the program is limited. So get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box in the episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com slash join. Yeah, I mean, Bruce was great. You know, just, you know, his tenacity, his his aggression, his energy. Um, you know, he got a couple of uh, his little dinky little floaters here and there, which which was nice. You know, he had a couple of dimes, a couple of blocks as well, as well as the steal. Exactly what you want from him. You know, some really good chemistry, you know, with the guys on, on the roll. You know, he's just willing to screen. Yep. And, you know, Nicholas Claxton, you know, I said to you in the DMs, you know, a, a, an amazing game from him in the 14 minutes that he did play. We know what he can do in the perimeter when he's he got a Drew Holiday or a Giannis or whoever else it made Chris Middleton. But his screening tonight, I wanted to give a shout out to him because yep. you know Matt knows about it. We know about it. You know, he hasn't willingly wanted to screen and show a screen, but Katie was having a tough but Katie was having a physical matchup with PJ Tucker tonight. And Nicholas Clarkson was getting fouls aplenty by you know what? PJ, you gotta fight through me right now. I'm three, four inches taller than you. You wanna get KD? Fight through me, my dude. And I think that that's one little thing that isn't gonna show up on the stat sheet uh, unless you really go bare. Uh, but Nicholas Claxton tonight, screening like a goddamn, like a goddamn mofo, uh, and you love to see it. Yeah, I mean, I can't think of a more productive four-point game. You know what I mean? Like he scored four points, but his impact was drastically felt on the court. This was, you know, a major stepping stone for Nick Claxton's development. You mentioned the screening. I loved a lot of the rotations in which he had, you know, his on-ball defense, showing on the pick and roll and then recovering one of his elite skills that he has, and then attacking Brooke Lopez on that roll to the rim and finishing with a dunk, you know, two or three from the free throw line. 
uh, a couple rebounds in there. We're really, really happy with the way Claxton played. And I think it will give Steve Nash some confidence to play him more minutes in the future and possibly even give him some minutes with Blake Griffin. I mean, he posterized Nets legend Brook Lopez, Nick. And, the, oh, man, I've been Not watching. the first time Brook's been posterized at Barclays. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've been there for, for a Larry Nance Jr. one, which is maybe one of the greatest dunks I've ever seen in person. But uh, if I was there for Nicholas Claxton, uh, my voice would be hoarse um, for days and days on end. I've watched that video already eight times. And, you know, he, he said he wanted to dunk on someone in the in the Boston series. Yeah? He happened to do it on, on a Nets legend and one of the great rim protectors uh, in the league right now. Uh, and just those little plays, well, I mean, it's not a little plays, it's actually a goddamn massive play. Uh, it gives him the confidence, gives the team all yep. the confidence. And, man, what a play. And, and, and what a great game from, from a guy who only played 14 minutes, like you alluded to, Nick. Yeah, and I think, like, with Claxton, just the switchability is just another factor that just slows down any team. Like, you saw Chris Middleton coming off pick and rolls, kind of expecting to get the step, and then, oh, shit, it's Nick Claxton. Now I have to back it up, try to attack him, and then I end up getting nothing. You know, the only thing I'd say with Claxton, the only mistakes he really made in this game is I think he tried to swipe at Giannis at one, or he was swiped at Drew Holiday, and it's just like, you know, keep your hands up. You know better than that. And other than that, like, I, I'm really, really happy with the way Claxton played, and I'm really looking forward to see what he can do the rest of the series. And specifically, his one-on-one defense with Giannis was great. Yeah, it was a lot better than a lot of people anticipated. You know, even myself included, I thought he'd probably be better than most people thought, but he was even better than I could have thought in this game for just being so fresh and so raw going against one of the best players in the league. Yeah, it's almost like he enjoys like being like the pick and roll action or the screening yep. action because he doesn't get isolated and he's like, kind of <laughs> Yeah, and he's just like, you know, I'm going to recover here. And that recovery on Giannis, look, Giannis probably could have counted if he was a little bit smarter and, and had a little bit, you know, more you know Pick faculties to him. And, and just got to like, yeah, just use his feet a little bit more because he's got decent enough footwork, but he could have, you know, done his little patented, you know, shitty little spin move. But Clax is like, you know what, I'm going to recover you. And, and Giannis looked shocked. There was, you know, plays in the first half where he was just isolated and he got bullied. But, you know, he didn't let that happen in the second half. And, you know, it was a, a really good, really, really, really good performance from him. We saw of, you know, it's just another body to throw. We sort of said, like, yep. you know, Giannis is going to have, you know, Blake, you know, who's going to stop him? Look, he still had, he still got his own, but it didn't lift his team in a way that, you know, got everyone else involved. And I think that that's something that is a, a big tick for Clax, a big tick for, for Blake and, and the team overall, you know, making things at least tough for Giannis and forcing him to shoot a couple of jumpers, a couple of mid-ranges here and there as well. Yeah, I want to say Clax forced at least two turnovers on Giannis. There was one where he kind of got his hand on the ball and swept it out, led to that Kyrie Irving fast break. Yeah. Uh, and then another one where he kind of forced Giannis into a travel. So, like I said, you know, again, I'm going to keep, <laughs> you know, saying it. Like, Claxton was really impressive, and I hope to see a lot more of him in the series because when the Bucks do play better, I think you're going to need more defensive resistance, and Claxton can provide that, and he also can provide you some size in the rebounding department. And I think – what we'll maybe see later in the series, it just gets to a point where it's a lot of pressure to only have one big on the floor. You know what I mean? If Even if it's KD and Blake, that's fine. You can get away with that. But when it's Blake by himself or Claxon by himself without Kevin Durant, that's a big ask, you know, with all the rebounding and the size they have. Yeah, plus 11 for Clax. You know, I don't know if it's a Clax city anymore, Nick. It might be a Clax country. It might be a Clax <laughs> continent. Who knows? We'll have to wait and see how this series pans out to, to see the growth of the ever-growing peninsula that is Clax city. Yeah, I guess let's talk KD, you know, 29 points, 12 to 25 on the field, one of four from three, four of four from the free throw line, 10 rebounds, three assists, one steal, two blocks, three turnovers, five fouls. 
And like, yeah, it's not the most impressive stat line from Kevin Durant. It's still really, really good. 29, 29. points, 10 rebounds, yeah. three. Like, it's just like, and two blocks and a steal. It's just like, that's a really good game for anyone. And I still think this was a good game for KD, Nick. Yeah, I think it was a good game. But I was just saying, like, stat-wise, it doesn't pop yeah. maybe as much as we've seen. But I think his overall impact in this game he had his fingerprints in every department, you know, scoring the basketball, passing the boss basketball, uh, you know, pointing, telling guys where to go on offense, rebounding the basketball, you know, playing defense and also having to bang with bigger bodies like Brooke Lopez and boxing guys out constantly. You know, it was a real grind for Kevin Durant. Credit to him for getting the job done. Oh, immense, 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 immense from, from Kevin Durant and, you know, 40 minutes for him, like you sort of mentioned, Nick, you know, yeah. early on, you know, he, he got into to a little bit of foul trouble, but he's like, you know what, keep me out of here, I'm good enough to, to know what to do, and there were some times where it's just like Joe sort of switched on to, to Brook down low in the sort of like yeah. final 45 seconds, I thought that was clever, not to sort of, you know, bully him, and he might have even got a, a fifth foul, which was called like a defensive foul or a charge or whatever in that sort of final play, glad that they didn't call that, uh, but yeah, I, I, I think that the three that he did hit, Nick, that might have been worth like five, five points. And the best shot in basketball is that exact shot. He does it every game, and I lose my mind. I lose my faculties. My body tingles. It is <laughs> orgasmic. It is beautiful. It is like watching the Mona Lisa combined with Van Gogh while watching. Uh, it's 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 something else. Something else. I mean, that shot over Giannis was incredible. And I don't think another player in the league that could probably do it. You know, that has the length to be able to shoot over a Giannis Antetokounmpo contest the way he did. Maybe Kawhi Leonard, Nick. I don't know. Yeah, and even Kawhi. I'm not... Uh, like... The reason why I said that is because I was getting into the to, the to a DM war and to a mentions war last night about comparing Kawhi Leonard's offense to Kevin Durant's offense. Please, do not even talk about it. If you watch Kevin Durant and his bag tonight, you know, there, I thought that his mid-range shot was there... And, you know, he got like, you know, when he got to his positioning, I just sometimes he just missed shots. I yeah. don't think it was like, I think PJ Tucker made life tough for him and physical. But there was times where like, he's just like to PJ, bump, backwards, fade away. And it's just yep. like his physicality. And we sort of saw in, in a nice little pregame video, I think yesterday from the Bucks, sort of like PJ's like to, to Katie's like, I didn't know you had that in your bag. He's like, oh, come on, man. You know what I got. You know what I got. Because, uh, you know, both of those guys, you know, Texas alum. So I think that that's going to be a, a fun battle going forward. And I think as well, it's what opened up a lot of things for the team because he was getting so much attention. Katie yep. was throwing passes. The ball was fizzing around the perimeter. Um, if you've got one guy so focused, so solely focused on the, you know, you got, you're leaving out Joe Harris on the perimeter. You're leaving out Blake on the perimeter. You're leaving out Kyrie Irving on the perimeter. Um, I think that that's one thing that Kevin Rand did really, really well. And uh, he is a, an incredible basketball player. And just give me one of those pull-up threes every game Nick, because they give Barclay Center life they give me life like no one else's business yeah they really do I mean it's an incredible play it's something that you kind of just enjoy like you said every time you see it and one thing I think the Nets did a good job of that kind of helped maintain Kevin Durant's energy to do all the things I listed before was that he didn't have to spend much time on Giannis you know we thought maybe going to the series there'd be chances where he'd have to spend you know a couple minutes on it but really it was kind of hit or miss maybe there was a stretch there where he defended him for a bit but Overall, I thought that was a pretty big plus because defending Giannis can be so tiring and physically taxing. Really, like he's a he's a big dude. Just, yeah. you know, despite the fact that you know, and I think that allowing you know Blake to sort of show his level, and I think that he sort of likes that. He he relishes the physical contest um, in a lot of respects, especially against a big, star. 
Exactly. Rather than being, you know, isolated on an island against Jason Tatum or Kemba Walker or whoever else it might be. He wants the big dudes. He wants the physical dudes because, you know, Blake's 6'10 and girthy. And like you said, got a great lower center of gravity. So, but Nick, I can't believe it's taken us this long to talk about Kyrie Irving. <laughs> a player I thought was maybe the best player on the floor, even though the stats may not show it. Yeah, this was probably my favorite Kyrie Irving game ever. You know, when I was there when he scored 50 against the Timberwolves in his opening night appearance for Brooklyn. I just really love the energy he had in this game. You know, especially with Harden going down, they needed that extra level of leadership and encouragement. And you saw that with Kyrie after every big play and all the shots and kind of just also like taking on some of that scoring load when Harden went down in that first half. Like he just was able to hit some big shots to keep it close or give the Nets the lead. So Kyrie Irving, great game offensively defensively i thought he was good and then you know passing the basketball eight assists you know really really happy with Kyrie irving's play and i'm not surprised because this is a guy that performs at an extremely high level you know the harder the competition gets we've seen him go nuts in the finals he drew three defenders on one play to get an open yep. it was just like guy drew comes out to him i think chris middleton comes out to him he drives brooke comes to him and it's just like oh yep. there's bruce dump it off to him that was like incredible it was just like you sort of see it's just like oh Kyrie Irving's on the ball we gotta stop him we gotta stop him we gotta stop him it's just like it opens up a goddamn lane for Bruce where he loves those shots and Bruce Brown dunks and Bruce Brown buckets just give the team energy in a way that was sort of mentioned earlier but yeah his passing game was incredible and you know he gets out in transition and you know you know he's gonna get he's gonna get a bucket because he's gonna finish around the rim like it's no one else's business and then KD's trailing yeah and you sort of do you know a a Harlem Globetrotter style trailing pass to him um, it was incredible, uh, incredible leadership, and I think his fingerprints were all over it. Despite the yeah. fact that, the, like you mentioned, Nick, the box score isn't totally friendly. You know, eleven to twenty-six from the field, three of eleven from three. I do think the threes that he did hit were big. Yeah, he rebounded the ball incredibly well, and he rebounded the ball incredibly well this entire playoffs. Had a block, had a steal. You know, this was a, a complete game from Kyrie Irving. Yeah, and even you mentioned this earlier, Jack. I think he was the guy that kind of got punished by the rim the most. It felt like a lot of those threes were halfway down, kind of just rimmed out on him. And, you know, that next thing you know, it's a 35-point game for Kyrie Irving. And you mentioned, you know, the steal and the block. I thought defensively he did a nice job disrupting. You know, even when he was in a mismatch situation, we talked about that. You know, in the Boston Celtics series, it was kind of hit or miss. He had some good moments defensively. But I thought today, just really disruptive and really, you know, Chris Middleton, a guy that I thought would probably have the plus on him, was able to get a steal on him, get that block on him, just really make him uncomfortable and, you know, just the way he brought up the ball or even when he was dribbling it in the post. Yeah, we sort of said this about Kyrie Irving, I don't know, 85 times this season, <laughs> being like, you know, this game is going to go unheralded in terms of Kyrie Irving performances. But I truly believe that about this game. And, you know, he's had, what, one bad playoff game, you know, in, in so far um, and the, plenty of reasons for that. But this game is going to be one that I'll remember for a very, very long time just because of the the occasion. And it's just like yeah. we need, you know, our superstars to step up to an even greater level than before. And Kyrie Irving relished the occasion. It seems to me that, you know, Barclays is like a second home to him. He loves playing in front of the home crowd. And, you know, it's not just Travis. The fan, like, I feel like... Kyrie Irving might be, he's going to go down as an historic Brooklyn Nets player already. But you know, for the performances and, and the love that he gives and the love that he gives his teammates as well, you know, we've, we've had, I don't know how many quotes we've had from, you know, other players sort of saying about, you know, how much they love Kyrie, how much 
that they appreciate his tutelage, his mentorship. You know, there was yeah. a game in the last series, and uh, I posted on the Brooklyn Nets uh, Twitter page, sort of, you know, him arm, arm around Nicholas Claxton, and it's just like all these sort of little things where it's just like, I don't understand how people cannot love Kyrie Irving, the basketball, uh, and what he has done for this Brooklyn Nets franchise. Um, I think that if you're if you're continuing to throw out narratives about him after what he's done for the Brooklyn Nets this season, that uh, then you need to have a good hard look at yourself because what he's doing for this franchise is immense. Yeah, I mean, obviously there's always going to be hate when you leave teams or different situations. You play along LeBron James and you leave or, you know, Boston and the media and all that stuff. We talked about it. But with the Nets, he's been a different guy. You know, he's been essentially, you know, I don't want to say perfect. Five minutes, Nick. Yeah. God damn. And he looked he looked spry. Like it wasn't yeah. even like he looked gassed out there. So credit to Kyrie again, you know. I think he'll have bigger games in the series, at least from a scoring output. If he can play on this level in terms of defense and the other things, that would be huge. And that would help to make off make up for a potential loss of James Harden, which we'll talk about later. We don't really know what's up with that situation yet. And I think as well, we, we sort of spoke about, you know, Drew Holiday guarding him. There were a lot of positions where Drew Holiday was guarding him. And Kyrie didn't really take any, well, maybe like out of the 26 shots that he did take. Yep. Two or three of them were like, okay, I guess they were bad shots by by everyone else's standards, but not for Kyrie. I thought that he took good shots tonight. I thought that, you know, he's obviously, you know, the, the defensive field goal percentage is probably going to flatter Drew Holiday tonight. But I sort of, I sort of think that Kyrie Irving didn't wasn't totally troubled by him. In, in a lot of respects, you know, Drew Holiday still had a decent enough game, but it wasn't like, you know, I think PJ Tucker probably had more of an effect on Kevin Durant, if anything. Yeah, I would say when Kyrie missed shots, it was mostly because of the help defender, you know, be it Brooke Lopez or Giannis coming from behind. I will say, you know, a stat I don't expect to see, and I think, you know, based off of, you know, what we've seen from Kyrie and the way games are officiated, there shouldn't be a basketball game where he attempts zero free throws, just considering the way teams play defense on him and things along those lines. So I think you can expect more free throw attempts in game two and probably the rest of the series. Definitely. So, I mean, what much more can we touch on, Nick? Because this was just a, an immense performance all round. And, you know, I think it's going to take these sort of performances to continue getting the wins because you expect a, a bit of a bounce back from the Milwaukee Bucks. You know, they're going to look at the film room and such. The Nets will probably do the same thing. You know, Steve Nash deserves a lot of credit for, for what he did out there. It seemed to me that there was a desire and energy from everyone that was sitting down. You know, Jeff Green... I don't think he sat down the entire game. I, I, I love his energy. And like I said on the spaces, love this cardigan as well. The, the Nets are the, the most swaggerific team uh, in, the, in the NBA right now. And, you know, Steve Nash was always engaged. He made your doke was getting out yep. of his seat. Um, I love this team, Nick. I don't know. It, it's, it's a little bit, you know, reductive. And, you know, people probably aren't going to like the fandom and the, the standard that we show. We should be a little bit more objective. But I love this team and I loved this game and I loved this win. Yeah, I mean, this was a team win. You know, you saw guys step up, and I think, I don't know if you mentioned on here, it was before he jumped on, it was kind of like an underdog win. And that's not, not something we've felt with the Nets since they've acquired James Harden. So the fact that they were able to just kind of provide these different aspects that they haven't really been doing because they just typically are more talented and can score more points than the opposing team, it kind of forced them to play basketball and impact every area of the court. So 
just really, really good stuff. And Steve Nash, great coaching job. And I also liked his energy level. We got a little yeah. bit of a mic'd up from him. You can, and I even noticed this in the Boston series. You can tell his level of engagement is higher. Like you're seeing also more like stank face Steve Nash, which is really fun because he's such like a happy guy on a regular basis. But the fact is like some of the looks he's giving the refs and things like that, he's really coming into his own. So credit to Nash too. Yeah, a lot of people were sort of saying rookie head coach as a, as a narrative that would could go against Steve Nash. But, you know, you look at the experience behind him, you know, the, the level of coaching that you have on the floor in terms of the, the superstars and the IQ that they have. It'll be I'll be remiss to say if I don't mention that Kyrie Irving finish under the basket, Nick, that got hove out of his seat. But if you look closely at the replay, you go to the Brooklyn Nets Twitter page, you can tell that someone's just like, hey, Kyrie Irving got this awesome bucket. And Hove's like, yeah, he's clapping, he's clapping. Beyonce saw it, though. Queen B know what was going on. Yeah, she was locked in. And Kyrie made that bucket look like it was easy. That was like insane. It was like, it's, it's she you doing horse. Yeah. He does things on the court that makes you feel like you should be able to do that if you play basketball, just with the level of ease in which he does it. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, this is just kind of a common layup package you should have in your game. It's like, no, that's just Kyrie Irving being insane. But I guess, Jack, we have to talk about it. You know, James Harden went down under a minute into this game, grabbed that right hamstring. Obviously, you know, he's a left-handed player, so he's exploding off of that right leg, different than Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. So, not a great sign for the Nets. Same hamstring he's had injury, uh, d- uh, issues with all season long. Um, you know, we're not going to necessarily dwell on the sadness of it. You know, hopefully we get some positive news and hopefully he can be back at some point in the series. But we really don't know. And obviously hamstrings are really difficult injuries to come back from. No, absolutely. You know, Kyrie Irving, you know, put it pretty plainly and simply himself. When you see the game snatched away from one of our brothers so early, we feel for him, you know. Kevin Durant said that it was shit. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, it was, you know, Steve Nash was heartbroken. I think all of us, you know, it, the, the way that that game started and the way that the energy was around the NBA world for this series and for this game, to see it yep. start like that, it was just like, oh no. And you immediately know as soon as James Harden's walking off, you're like, it's it's probably going to be a hamstring. And, you know, you, you see him grab it after sort of making that kick out pass and, it was uh, it was pretty awful. You know, we don't really have. You know, he's obviously getting the MRI. You know, we've seen fans on Twitter post little things here and there saying that you know he was on the treadmill. He's doing little things here and there. That's a good sign. I have no idea. It's I'll, I'll cling on to any little hope that he could come back for this series. But we also have heard that you know the Nets aren't going to like force him in a way that sort of happened with Anthony Davis. I think Jordan yep. Schultz reported that. You know, that's what we saw from Anthony Davis in Game Six uh, in, in the Phoenix Suns game. So look. The Nets prove that they can get the job done without, you know, maybe their most important player in, in the way that he impacts the game with everyone else stepping up and Kyrie Irving leading in a, in a way that is absolutely unheralded. But uh, it would be a lot easier and a lot better if we had the, the goddamn beard out there because he deserved And I think just the, the story itself, Nick, is if we don't have James, if we win even without James Harden, like, it's going to be incredible. But a part of me, you know, it has sort of, you know, it's just grown to love James Harden, the Brooklyn yeah. Nets. I think we we all had levels of sort of skepticism about how is he going to buy in? You know, is he going to sort of like, you know, you know, take over you know the identity of the team or is he going to fit into the identity of the team? And it was a little bit of both. You know, the team molded to him and he molded to the team. And so it's just like, 
uh, out of the sort of like the superstars in the league right now that you want to sort of you know, get a chip and have some success. You know, it's Chris Paul, it's James Harden, those guys that haven't been to the precipice yet. And for me, it's James Harden that is, you know, number one. You know, this has been, you know, his goal, his dream. You know, he's, he's mentioned it, you know, in an article that I read <laughs> almost incessantly, you know, talking to Howard Beck being like, you know, that's all I want. I want, I'm 30 years old now. This is obviously last year. And, and for me, it's all about the chip. And yeah. if he doesn't get that opportunity, um, we reflect, we can look back on and how he's impacted in this, on this team and how he's gotten us to this mark. But, you know, we don't know anything yet. Um, we'll probably, you know, do an emergency buzz once we do hear the news um, and, and discuss it further going from there. But at this point in time, it's just shit. I'm heartbroken. I'll use all the words um, yeah. that Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant and Steve Nash use because it sucks. Um, hopefully James Harden, you know, can get you know, a clean, a somewhat clean bill of health from that MRI. Yeah, obviously, you know, it, it's super upsetting for Harden, too, because like you kind of said, you know, and I don't want to speculate on what the Nets are going to do in the series or if they go farther, but if they were to win, win it all, and like Harden were not to be there, I feel like it would almost put him in a negative perspective, which really sucks. So obviously we're not going there or anything like that, but, you know, maybe, maybe we'll get lucky. I think one positive is that James Harden knew he had the injury right away and did not try to play. You know, I think it would have been substantially worse if he pulls up right there and he tries to play five more minutes. You know, the chances of him injuring it even further are higher. Maybe he's back later in the series. Maybe he's playing at 80% or maybe he's back in another round. I'm not really sure. It's really tough with a hamstring if anyone's ever had the injury or even just dealing with hamstring soreness. You can kind of feel like how it can impede you from playing how you like to play. I'm not sure you know, what James Harden would say to the Nets and trying to push himself to play. But like you said, we don't want something like the Anthony Davis situation because that was just kind of painful to watch for Anthony Davis. No, that's not going to happen with the Brooklyn Nets franchise. Yeah, <laughs> we do things better here. The purple and gold, you guys do your thing. But um, Jeff Stotts, who is probably one of the most accredited people when it comes to analyzing any sports injury, said this on his Twitter page, at In Street Close. Um, Ari Harden, he was going to be an increased risk for rec for recurrence for the remainder of the season, especially since he already aggravated the injury site during his initial rehab. Data shows that the average time lost increases with each subsequent strain. So, look, I'm, again, he's a much smarter man than I, and you know, there's a part of me that's probably pessimist, but we don't know the news yet. We could see you know James yep. Harden being out for for the rest of the playoffs. We could see it be. You know, an incredibly mild strain or a cramp, or I don't know. A part of me isn't necessarily optimistic about it because I never am optimistic about this yeah. from this team a lot of the time. But um, we're not going to speculate too much, Nick, because, you know, I think James Harden deserves more than that. Yeah. And, you know, and talking about another injury, hopefully Jeff Green's back. You know, that would provide a major plus for this team in a different way. Obviously, his skill set to James Harden is not really similar offensively, but defensively, he kind of provides some of the similar things, you know, some toughness, some rebounding, some size. So hopefully Jeff's, you know, good to go maybe for game two or game three. We'll see what happens. And, you know, if, if you know, God forbid, knock on wood, I don't want James Harden to be out the rest of the postseason. But if he is, I wonder if that opens up something for a potential Spencer Dinwiddie return. And I'm just, you know, just completely speculating. There's nothing out there. You know, the Nets said, you know, Dinwiddie probably wouldn't be back. I did yeah. see some video of him, you know, working out in LA and everyone's like, oh, he's not wearing the Brooklyn Nets shorts anymore. And, you know, he looked like, you know, Donald Glover's Atlanta, you know, just <laughs> stuck up. But also, you know, he tweeted out as well as soon as it happened. Um, I'm not gonna. I, I think I've already swore, swore on this yeah, podcast. You already swore, so you're good. <laughs> I, won't, I won't swear again. But he, he tweeted out the f word. Um, so and everyone's just like, "You coming back? You coming back? We need you. We need you." And it's just like, 
let the man rehab in peace. And and I, I think ultimately, big picture, James Harden's health long term uh, and his ability to get back to a level where he can contribute to a level that he is MVP caliber. You know, that's the important thing because, you know, we want James Harden to be a Brooklyn Net for years and years to come. You know, we want him to retire as a Brooklyn Net. And, you know, while this series and while these playoffs do matter, um, even in the grand scheme of things, you know, you've got to think of the big picture. And, and I think that the Nets always do think of that. They're always incredibly conservative. And, and it's a reason why, you know, Kyrie Irving's able to play 45 minutes. Kevin Ray's able to play 40 minutes because yep. of the way they've been matched throughout this regular season. So, you know, fingers, toes, and every body part crossed, we get some semblance of positive news, um, but we'll be, be sure to report about it, talk about it, analyze it as soon as we do hear about it. I guess, Jack, before we get out of here, uh, what are you expecting in terms of game two adjustments for either team? I think that despite the fact, in fact, I'll get to this quote as well, Nick, and this is from Mike Bordenhose. And, you know, probably during these playoffs, we'll probably talk more about the other team than we would in regular season basketball because we don't necessarily care. But this was Bordenhose on the minutes. And this reminded me a lot of when he was talking, how he was talking in the bubble. He said this uh, in terms of the minute allocation. They all want to play 48 minutes, but we just got to keep them competing, keep them where they can execute. Giannis never wants to come out. Chris, Drew. But we've got a deep team. We've got to take advantage of it. Keep them ready. Keep them fresh. Keep them fresh? Keep them fresh? What the hell are you talking about? Keep them fresh for if they're knocked out of the playoffs, all they're going to be doing is practicing all season long. Like, what the hell are you talking about, my dude? And talking about depth, like, all of his role players played poorly. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they really did. Like, Forbes wasn't able to hit anything until garbage time. Uh, Bobby Portis, the Nets were kind of attacking a little bit. I think he scored most of his buckets in garbage time. Yep. Jeff Teague has no business playing 14 minutes in the playoffs at this point in his career. Um, you have really, really talented star players. And to not play, you know, Drew or Chris Middleton 40 minutes is kind of crazy. And then the fact is you have, you know, arguably one of the best two-way players in the NBA, if not the best, in Giannis, and you want to play him 35 and none of these guys are old. Maybe Drew, you know, you make an argument. He's dealt with some injuries. He's missed some time. You don't want to play him big minutes. Fine. Play Giannis and Chris big minutes. What do you have to lose? Nothing. But I'm not complaining here on the net side. I'm happy Steve Nash elects to play his guys bigger minutes. But I guess, Jack, in terms of Nets adjustments. Can I just, we, before yeah, we ahead. sort of go to the Nets adjustments, I want to piggyback off that. That's one area where Steve Nash has a plus because yep. he's like, you know what? I trust my players to be able to understand their bodies. And look, there, there are going to be occasions where that might come back to bite you, but you would rather sort of get that than the opposite, where it's just like, you need... <laughs> I said this, you know, on you know, doing finals recaps for OTG Basketball last year. Play your good players extended minutes. Kyrie Irving yep. didn't play for like three minutes tonight. Kevin Durant would have played maybe 45 minutes if he wasn't in foul trouble. And the Nets were, you know, struggling in the minutes that he wasn't out there on the court. You know, I, and I think that that's one area as well that Steve Nash did a good job of staggering their minutes as yep. soon as he realized that he wasn't going to have James Harden. Always having one of those two guys out on the court. I thought that that was a, a really nice adjustment. Um, you know, a, a simple enough adjustment, but a, a good one nonetheless. So... Yeah, uh, I, Steve Nash, you know, you certainly get to tick. And um, surely, surely we see 39, 40, 42 minutes plus for, you know, the, Giannis is like 26, 27 years old. He's in yeah. his prime. You know, Kyrie Irving has had an injury history. Kevin Durant's coming off an Achilles. You sh those guys, every single game, you should be aligning their minutes and going, okay, how much are the best players for the opposing team playing? My best players need to play that, if not more. Yeah, I, I think he just kind of got ahead of himself with having the three stars. And you would think, too, is 
you know, Kyrie and Katie had a big offensive load in terms of usage, and those guys kind of had all three of them, and it's separated between the three of them, so it's a little bit easier. And even defensively, they kind of rotated in, in terms of who they defended. So interesting wrinkle to kind of keep an eye on is the, the minutes and the rotation for the Bucks in this series. Uh, for the Nets, though, Jack, what do you think it for game two? Do you want to see, you know, some maybe bigger lineups? Uh, anybody you want to see play more? Anyone you want to see play less? Yeah, look, I think, you know, Clax can play more minutes, but at the same yep. time, when Blake is that good, just leave him out there. You know, ride, yeah. with, ride with the hot hand. And I think that that's something that good coaches do. They understand what the game is, how the game is is going, and rolling with the flow. And that's what, that's something Steve Nash has done well all season as well, being able to go, okay, let's just roll with these guys. Sometimes he, you know, will we'll, we'll yank guys, certainly. But in these playoffs, I think he's done a really good job of that and trusting his players. And, you know, you can probably see if, if Blake is struggling a little bit defensively, he's not hitting every three under the sun and not rebounding like he's, you know, prime DeAndre Jordan, then, you know, maybe we see 20 minutes plus for Nicholas Claxton because... The timeline was absolutely like on fire for Nicholas Claxton from NBA Twitter and the the whole world in general. You know, he was trending at, at a certain point. So I think that's yep. the maybe one adjustment you you might see. You know, do you want to sort of limit the offensive glass by playing a couple of big minutes? I think you might wait for Jeff Green to sort of come back to sort of do that um, and, and sort of see how it sort of goes going from there. But I think that the game plan tonight from the Nets and how they guarded and and, and made things tough for the Bucks was was good enough. Um, and it's just going to be like you know. Can you continue to make things uncomfortable for the other team while also, you know, leveling up a, a little bit on the offensive end? Because I think that the game plan offensively tonight, you know, pushing in transition, getting that ball moving, not necessarily having the ball in the hand of Kyrie Irving coming around every single possession um, and, yep. and running it up the floor or whatever, like it was like Luka Doncic against the, uh, the Clippers and stuff. I think that the the adjustments from the players on the court and, and the understanding that they all had, um, it, it showed a, a level of execution and a level of engagement that you know I think was really really solid. Maybe we see some extra Bruce Brown minutes um, in certain occasions as well. For but I did did also think that he struggled at times when he was isolated onto those bigger players like Giannis and, and such. Yeah. I think that they were like, okay, this guy's six foot three, six foot four. You know, I'm, I'm while you are strong and while you are pesky, um, you know, I, I think Bruce Brown works better when you know he's sort of off the ball and you know maybe guarding a, a Connaughton or or a Forbes or even a Holiday or a Middleton because he can sort of just you know be pesky, run around and be that little energizer bunny and energizer bear in, in a way. That <laughs> that's that's a good one for him. Um, but yeah, the, the rebounding might be uh, a little bit worrisome, and and maybe if Steve Nash is a little bit pissed about it, you know, he's sort of like, okay, we got to do the, a better job of it. But I think that he'll have a level of understanding and being like, you know what, we got the good boards, we made things tough, we we fought for it. But they have, you know, Giannis, uh, Brook Lopez, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and 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 a heap of size about them. And you know, the second chance points is probably something you want to clean up a little bit too. Um, but I thought that their transition defense was okay for the most part. Um, but I think also that Giannis missed some shots that he would probably normally make. But you know, overall, Nick, there's probably some little things here and there. Um, but you also just want to keep fo- keep the focus on what you do well. Yeah, I think, you know, your your game plan was solid today. You want to probably improve different aspects of it. I think you mentioned the transition defense. I think early on it was a little bit of an issue, but it kind of solidified as the game went on. I think rebounding-wise, obviously, you want to kind of improve and kind of get that number a little bit closer. And I think you can anticipate the Bucks are going to attack the paint more. It just makes more sense for them to kind of look for post-ups, even with Brooke Lopez. So I think you need to be ready to stunt at those guys a little bit more. You know, dig down at them, try to force some more steals and disrupt them because that's probably what I would do if I was the Bucks. I would double down on attacking the paint. You know, the three-point shooting is going to eventually come, but I think, you know, what would you say, Jack? 72 to 40 in terms of points in the paint or something along those 72 lines? 72 to 48. 
Yeah, so that's a that's a pretty wide margin. I think they're going to look to attack there. So the Nets need to be prepared for that. I would look to try to get a little bit of a Claxton Blake Griffin front court, at least for a couple minutes. Maybe that's the end of the second half, see how it goes. Maybe that's something you go back to because I think offensively you can get enough out of, you know, Kyrie, Joe Harris, Kevin Durant, and even Blake Griffin that, you know, your offense can still maintain at a high level. And then that ability of Claxton defensively rebounding and just that extra spark could be huge. So I think my adjustment would just be looking to probably play Claxton closer to 20 minutes. Yeah, the Nets still have a few things up their sleeve. You know, Jeff Green obviously isn't injured. James yep. Hard, James Harden didn't even play, and Claxton only played 14 minutes. So I think that there's some some things that can be adjusted to if the Nets need to, and that's a good thing. You know, the Bucks certainly have plenty to plenty of adjustments to make. It's going to be you know on Steve Nash and his coaching staff to to make the response to that because I think Game Two is I think in the in the playoffs we. We look at one game and we sort of put it to the wayside because I think that each game is a, is a unique ball game. It's like a series yep. within a series. Um, and, you know, Barclay Center as well. Nick, you're going to be there. I'm jealous as hell, my friend. You know, you'd better be yelling. Your boys better be hoarse and you should. You, I'd better be the one hosting. I'm um, already like, I already kind of like lost some of my voice, like watching the game at home. <laughs> I don't even know. My wife's upset already. She's like, you're, you're crazy. Uh, shout out to our guy, Will Jackson, who's actually hooking me up with a ticket for the game. So... I'm incredibly pumped to go to Barclays Center. I'm definitely going to lose my voice. I'll probably sound like a different person on the next podcast. Um, and like you said, just getting back to the adjustments, it's more so the Nets reacting to the adjustments that the Bucks make because they lost the game. The Nets won, so they're less likely to make more adjustments. So like you said, you really don't know what to expect, it feels like, until a game five. The first four games are almost kind of a feel-out process, and you can start to kind of take sample sizes into account. And then game fives where you're like, all right, I know what they're going to do. They know what I'm going to do. Who's just going to be better? They always say, you know, the series doesn't start until the opposing team, you know, wins on the home court. And that better not uh, be while, too. <laughs> yeah, the, while, while I am I am confident and the Nets played a good game, you know, I'm not discounting this game from the Bucks. you know. They almost could not play worse and they only lost by eight. But then, like we sort of said, the Brooklyn Nets could play a lot better and could have easily won this game uh, by a lot more if they hit some of their shots too. So this is a sort of, you know, I think a fair performance, a fair summation from, from game one. Uh, but game two, it's a, it's a completely different ball game. Uh, and Nick, uh, I am jealous as hell. Um, and make sure you, when you see Mike James, you hand him that letter. <laughs> I definitely will, Jack. I definitely will. And I'll say this was kind of more like a 15-point win, a double digit. I think the Bucks got a couple of those garbage points. But yeah. again, Jack, always a pleasure. And as always, big thanks, everybody, for listening. And find the buzz on all streaming platforms. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.